Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, as I'll be preaching from Genesis chapter 32. Before I read the text, I'd like to set the stage a bit to orient you so that we might better understand what God is saying to us in Christ through this passage. The book of Genesis was written by Moses. It could have been written as early as his call, remember, at the burning bush at Midian, Exodus chapter 3, or it could have been written as late as his farewell address, which we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 34, or of course it could have been written sometime in between. So that means it could have been written to the first generation that Moses led out of Egypt or the second generation of Israelites who are standing on the plains of Moab and about to cross over into the promised land. It's likely that that latter scenario is the situation. Moses writing to the people about to enter into the land of promise. And so Moses reaches back into Israel's history and is very selective and picks historical moments, stories, true narratives to present to the people before they go into the land to convince them that leaving Egypt and pursuing Canaan is exactly God's call for Israel. And so we come to chapter 32. And it begins with a pressing need. You recall that that Jacob is going home to The promised land. God has promised this land to Jacob's descendants. But he's facing an obstacle because if you recall, he is very much at odds with his brother Esau. Geographically, Jacob could avoid Esau and sneak into the promised land. But spiritually, he cannot avoid his brother because to make progress with God... He must make peace with his brother. And so, the text continues in chapter 32 with timely help. Remember, the angels of God meet him. And Jacob exclaims, this is the camp of God. In other words, God is giving Jacob assurance that Jacob's camp has the support of God's camp as he prepares to move into the land to meet his brother Esau. And the chapter continues with a severe test where Jacob sends messengers to Esau, saying, I am sending this message to you, my Lord, that I may find favor in your eyes. And the messengers return from Esau with this report, saying, Your brother is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Now, what would you be thinking? Perhaps, here I am, 
trying to do the right thing to make peace with my brother. And now he's coming after me with 400 men to destroy me. What would you be doing? Would you choose to run away or would you choose to press forward? Well, Jacob does what he can do to get himself ready. He puts together a strategic defense. He divides his people and his possessions into two groups. And he sends them forward while he stays back. And he offers this earnest prayer to the Lord. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will attack me and my family. But you have said to me, Lord, that you will make me prosper and make my descendants like the sand of the sea. And so he sends forth this very lavish presence. In fact, a whole ranch of about 550 animals, five herds with space between each wave as if to set forward this wave of generosity going before Jacob as he prepares to meet his brother Esau. So that's what Jacob does to make himself ready. But then we come to this morning's text where we find what God does to make Jacob ready. Genesis chapter 32, verses 30, verses 22 through 32. The same night, he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, a river. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip, And therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. 
This is God's word. Let me lead us in prayer. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts in order that we might see the hope to which you have called us in Christ, that we might know that you have made us to be in Christ, your treasured possession, that you would work in us a repentance and faith that clings to you like none other. The unfolding of your word gives light, and so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. And in seeing him, we might love him and trust him and follow him all the days of our life. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What does God do to make us ready to move forward to obtain our inheritance? This passage has a very dramatic flow. We're going to follow the plot, as it were. This text is a classic five-step narrative of resolution that teaches us how God makes us ready to move forward by grace. And so we're going to walk it through scene by scene, step by step. Number one, the problem is identified in verses 22, 23, and 24. Isolation. And then the action begins to rise. In verses 24 and 25, there's confrontation. And then right at the center of the story, verses 26 through 29, there's the turning point, a dramatic change. And then the action begins to fall and subside. The tension is released and In verse 30, we find commemoration. And then finally, the resolution. In verse 31, there's onward progression. Let's follow the plot. First of all, step one, the problem of isolation. Verse 22, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Isolation. Because fear tends to drive a man to action. Notice, he arose from a prostrate, face-down position of prayer. And then he took and then he sent his servants, and his family, and it drives him to action. But fear not only leads a man to action oftentimes, but also very often fear tends to drive a man to privacy. I need to collect my thoughts. I need to think about what I'm about to face. And Jacob was left alone. And Jacob's isolation points very powerfully to Israel's experience. Remember, they're about to cross over into the land of promise. 
And Jacob's isolation would speak very powerfully to them in that moment. As Jacob lived in exile, so the sons of Israel lived in exile, alone. As Jacob was exploited in captivity to Uncle Laban, remember Uncle Laban? So the sons of Israel were exploited as slaves in Egypt. As Jacob escaped from Laban and plundered his estate, so the sons of Israel escaped Egypt and plundered their wealth. So Jacob's dilemma would speak very powerfully as Israel contemplated their situation. Israel knows what it's like to be in a tight squeeze. They would identify with Jacob being left alone. And so should you. And so should I. Because like Jacob and Israel, we the church journey toward our promised inheritance. But the path in front of us is often very hard. Sometimes it means confronting someone. Oh, I do not want to do that. That's a hard moment. Or maybe it's making restitution. Oh, that's so hard. I feel so alone. Or kids, maybe all of your friends are walking this way and you know that God would call you to walk this way. And it's a very lonely place when all of your friends want to turn from the Lord and you know that the Lord is calling you to follow him. It's an isolating moment, isn't it? It can be dark. It can be fearful. It can be most certainly lonely. That's the problem of isolation, but the story continues. Notice step two, how the action begins to rise. There's confrontation. The plot thickens. The solitude is shattered. And Jacob is jolted into a living nightmare. Did you notice? And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. There's a surprise assault from an unidentified man. Now here's the irony. Jacob thought the confrontation was going to be on the other side of the river. And that's what he most feared. But the irony, Moses skillfully helps us understand that the real battle is on this side of the river. He must deal with his opponent on this side. There's an interesting play on words here, the verb that is translated wrestle, actually sounds like the word Jacob. And uh, it's as though we can read the text, the man Jacobed with Jacob on this side of the Jabbok. There's this, this wonderful drama that's unfolding. Now, Jacob was a strong man. Has he met his match? He's grasping, he's straining, he's tumbling till dawn, he's wrestling. Now, in the ancient Near East, 
One way to settle a legal case was by a wrestling match, a trial by combat. Jacob is on trial. But why? What issue needs to be settled? All of his life has been a struggle. All of his life has been a wrestling match with his brother Esau, with his uncle Laban. But all of his life, there's been a deeper struggle. The deeper wrestling match was with his God. You see, here's the issue. Who will reign over Jacob? Will it be Jacob or will it be the true and living God? How does blessing come to Jacob? Will it be by Jacob's crafty, deceitful scheming by his own power? Or will it be by God's free grace, by his power? How will Jacob prevail in life? Will it be by his power or will it be by God's power? Do you feel the deeper struggle? It's a vertical struggle, not a horizontal struggle with his brother. This is the deepest struggle. And that's the issue. That's why he's on trial. And the text would speak very powerfully to those Israelites as they prepare to go into the promised land because they too are on trial. They too must wrestle with the same questions. How are we going to prevail? Will it be by our self-strength or will it be by divine strength? And by the way, it's the same trial that I face and it's the same trial that you face. Because these are always the questions that we must answer. Who will rule over my heart? Will it be me? Will it be the Lord? That's the question. Do we advance by our self-strength or by God's strength? Are you beginning to, to see yourself within the story? The drama continues. When he saw, verse 25, when he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as the man wrestled with him. I was a biology major at the University of North Carolina. I would do some cutting in the lab and I would learn all kinds of parts of the body. And uh, some of you may know this, that the sciatic nerve is that principal main nerve near the hip. And that is exactly where this man touches Jacob. But it was no mere touch. It was a paralyzing touch. And Jacob crumbles and now he's clinging. Now, the, the vicinity of the hip represented two 
ideas. On the one hand, it represented the foundation of a person's life. That makes sense. But on the other hand, it also represented the source of a person's descendants. It was sort of a euphemistic way of referring to the male reproductive organ from which descendants come. And so, for the Israelites reading and hearing this story, this wound would strike a very powerful chord. The blow to Jacob's hip pointed to the blow to Jacob's descendants. They knew themselves to be a broken people. Bondage in Egypt. Journey in the wilderness. They understood that theirs was a very dislocated experience. But the text would not only speak powerfully to Israel about to cross over into the land of promise. It also speaks very powerfully to us this morning. Because the blow to Jacob's hip points beyond Jacob's immediate descendants to Jacob's ultimate descendant. Your Lord Jesus Christ and mine. Jesus would bear the stroke of God's judgment in order that we might receive God's blessing. If there was a legal case to be settled, and there was, it was the vindication of God's justice because we have sinned against Him. But He is looking for a way to satisfy His justice but also reclaim us in his love. And so, as the suffering servant, broken Jesus receives the death blow that we deserve. But as the exalted Lord, Jesus comes to confront me and you in our self-strength. He works to reroute our trust, to transfer our trust from ourselves and transfer our trust to him. And I would never choose this fight, and I suspect that you never would either. We would rather not die to self. And so our Lord Jesus comes speaking his truth in love to wrestle to confront us in order that he might rescue us from ourselves. Are you beginning to feel the the tension rise? First of all, there's isolation. Second of all, there's divine confrontation. But now we come to the very center of the story. Step three, the turning point where there is transformation. Literarily, the pace slows down. The camera, as it were, zooms close. Moses shifts from describing the events to taking backstage and letting the characters speak for themselves in one-on-one dialogue. And that technique, as it were, literarily is the way a writer gets our focus on the main point. And that's what's happened. 
Dawn begins to break slowly. The silhouette of Jacob's opponent begins to emerge. Jacob begins to realize that his opponent is none other than the angel of the Lord. A theophany, as theologians describe it. The angel of the Lord appears to Jacob, and Jacob clings fast to him. But wait a minute. He's in grave danger. Because as God said to Moses, Exodus chapter 33, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. So the angel of the Lord says to Jacob, let me go, for the day is broken. Verse 26. And Jacob says, I will not let you go. Unless you bless me. Edmund Clowney, formerly an OPC pastor and also scholar, once president of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, wonderfully captures the moment, saying, The match was over. Jacob was lamed, yet for Jacob the fight could not be over. Lame as he was, blinded by his tears, he clung the more fiercely to his awesome adversary. If he could not win by strength, he would prevail in weakness. The angel of the Lord says to Jacob, what is your name? Now this invites us to pause for a moment because the angel of the Lord is the all-knowing one. So why would he ask the question? Kids, do you remember the last time this question was posed to Jacob? It was Exodus chapter 27. Remember, Esau had gone out to hunt for game. And uh, Isaac's wife scurried and said, let's come up with a plan. And so they do to get the blessing. And Jacob comes into the room and aged, blind Isaac says to him, Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Are you really my firstborn Esau? He answered, I am. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. May God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and the nations bow down to you. 
Oh, now we understand. The blessing then was gotten through Jacob's deception. And the Lord knows it, and Jacob knows it. So the angel of the Lord puts the same question to Jacob again. What is your name? And he says, this time, truthfully, Jacob. One simple word, one honest, humble confession, repentance. I am the cheater of my brother. I am the deceiver of my father. I am the schemer in search of God's blessing. He comes clean. And the angel of the Lord mercifully graciously responds, verse 28. And he always does in response to repentance, doesn't he? Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So the Lord declares Jacob the winner. He changes his name. But as Edmund Clowney once again puts it, what a strange victory. Jacob wins not by pinning his opponent to the mat, but by holding fast to God in faith and in weakness. In the Bible, names are very significant, and a name change in the middle of your life like Jacob's is very significant. Israel literally means God prevails. But God reframes the name by saying, you have wrestled with God and with men, and you have prevailed. The old name signifies the self-trusting past of Jacob, but the new name, Israel, highlights this God-trusting moment. It foretells his new character, his new identity, his sure success with Esau. Transformation. From trusting in himself to trusting in God. And that is always the principle running throughout Scripture. God's grace through our humble, dependent, repentant faith. And so Jacob asks, please tell me your name. But the angel says, why is it that you ask my name? An indirect refusal to answer as if to say, You know who I am. And there the Lord blessed him. It's his presence, it's his grace that will make Jacob fruitful. And of course, all of this would speak very powerfully to those Israelites about to enter into the land Because Moses presents Jacob as a role model when crippled by God, Israel must not despise God but cling to God in faith as they move into the land. The name Jacob reminds them of of all of the good reasons that they have humility. Their father was a deceiver. But the name Israel reminds these Israelites that they have a better reason to be confident because God will fight for them and prevail for them. And of course, that should have great significance for us this morning. Because this passage anticipates our Lord Jesus. In his death on Friday, Jesus, 
identifies with you and me as Jacob in response to our faithlessness. And he goes to the cross on Friday and he receives God's curse. But in his resurrection on Sunday, Jesus is identified as the true Israelite, the faithful one, who in response to his faithfulness receives God's blessing. And you, Christian, have been baptized into this name. We are made true Israelites by grace through faith in Jesus. The problem of isolation, the rising action of confrontation, the turning point in this amazing transformation. And then the action begins to subside a bit. The tension is released and we come to step four where there's commemoration The angel of the Lord has disappeared, but Jacob commemorates his presence. So, verse 30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The word Peniel literally means face of God. I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. It's an expression of faith. You see how here God answered Jacob's prayer for salvation when he prayed earlier in the chapter, please deliver me from the hand of my brother Esau. And so here's an expression of faith. Jacob knows that if he has survived this meeting with the angel of the Lord, then he will survive his upcoming meeting with his brother Esau. And it has great significance for Israel, calling them to Remember and not be forgetful. Mark the spot in your life where where God is faithful to deliver you. It's the same significance for us where the Lord's appearing to Jacob foreshadows his appearing to us in Christ. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He has come not to destroy us, but to deliver us. We look into our Savior's face and we find mercy and forgiveness in Christ. And the text calls us to commemorate, to mark the spot, to remember where God has been faithful to us. Finally, the text gives way. Isolation confrontation, transformation, commemoration, and finally, the story is resolved in step number five. There's onward progression. Did you notice verse 31? The sun rose upon Jacob as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. What a contrast. What a contrast to behold. Notice the contrast between the beginning of the story and the end of the story. The story began in the thick of night, but it concludes with a glorious sunrise. It's a new day. The story began with Jacob staying back, but the story concludes with Jacob crossing over. 
The story began with Jacob as the deceiver, tripped up and trapped in his his self-trusting ways. But the story concludes with Jacob as the prevailer by God's grace through faith. The story began with Jacob sturdy, so it would seem, but the story concludes with Jacob broken. But he's blessed and he's limping in weakness, but he's beaming with confidence. And once more, this part of the story just speaks to the hearts of Israelites who are about to cross into the promised land. Cross over. Possess the land. But don't you dare cross over in pride. Cross over in humility because you will not conquer Canaan in your own strength, but only in the Lord's strength. And of course, that's the same significance for us, isn't it? Our Lord Jesus Christ is our pathfinder, our lead climber. On Friday, he was given over to death, but on Sunday, God raised him from the dead. And he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He has crossed over into the land of the living, but not as a private person, but as your representative. And as goes the shepherd, so go the sheep. And so we are called to follow in his stead. Follow me, he says. And so we pursue our inheritance by following in the steps of Jesus. But we pursue our inheritance in humility. Because we will not possess our inheritance in our own strength, but only in Christ's strength. Even as Jesus said to The Apostle Paul, so he says to us this morning, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul responds, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What a story. A momentous change. Jacob could progress no further toward the land of promise. His hands were dirty. His heart was stained. He had frolicked in falsehood. And so God in love comes toward him and opposes him and fights him, and breaks him, all so that he might bless him. In exchange for his confession, the Lord gives him a crown of blessing, and you too, Community OPC Church, are moving toward the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and new earth. And we must wrestle along the way, because our Pride does not die easily, does it? And so God moves towards us in love and wrestles us in order that we might cling to him in faith. And at the end of our long road, 
at the end of the good fight, Jesus will welcome us home with a crown and we will hear what Nathaniel, remember Nathaniel, reading his Bible in John chapter 1, under the fig tree. And Jesus sees him and moves towards him and says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. One who holds on to me. And so we come full circle to Psalm 24 as we close. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This we are the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face, even we, Jacob, made Israel in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for not leaving us in the dark, but giving us words, scripture, that help us to see ourselves in the mirror. We too are like self-trusting Jacob. And your word serves not only as a mirror to expose what is wrong, but also as a lamp unto our feet to show us the way that is right. And yet your word not only helps us see ourselves in the mirror and not only helps us see down the path, but in this passage you you give us a bridge, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who will deliver us from the old and to the new through the mercy and the grace of the beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that even this week, whatever is in front of us, the hard thing into which you are calling us, we pray that we would humble ourselves before you and that we would cling to you in faith, that we would hold fast to you, knowing that you hold us fast, and that we would in humility move into the hard, trusting that you will make a way. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.